Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of Green. I am your hostess, Beth Bond, curator of sustainable news at Southeast Green, the largest online news site for sustainable business and environmental policy news in the Southeast. We are covering 12 states and three metropolitan areas on Southeast Green, so if you're ever looking for something that's happening in, in the Southeast, please, please visit the site. Today we have a really great guest. We've had a great conversation um, getting warmed up for the uh, the show today, um, and I'm very excited to hear more about this work. So we are interviewing Ron Benzeev, who was born in Israel and grew up in Africa, Asia, Europe, and the USA, which I'm pretty sure, except for Anarchart, the entire world, Ron grew up in the entire world, and he started his first business at the age of 13 when living in France. After spending a few years in the Fortune 100 company, he left to pursue his entrepreneurial path. He is now the founder and the president and CEO of World Housing Solution and a founder of Founders Harbor and Sequel. I'm going to mess that up. Sequel. Uh, Ron is also an organizer of TEDx Orlando and the founding member of the Central Florida Startup Weekend and One Million Cups. He currently resides in Central Florida where he's an integral part of the growth of the local startup ecosystem. In, two, in 2014, he became the first entrepreneur in residence and adjunct professor in the Rollins College of Business and Social Entrepreneurship Department. He sits on several Central Florida local nonprofit and profit boards of directors, as well as being appointed to the board of the Wharton Initiative for Global Entrepreneurship. He has had the privilege to judge business plan model competitions for Wharton, Rollins, UCS, and UF. Most recently, he mentored the winning Central Florida team for the Startup Quest. Ron is fluent in four languages and married and has three children. Welcome, Ron. Oh, oh my, is there any time left for the show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I scheduled a couple of extra minutes, so I think we can squeeze something out. So we are really, um, you know, the military has really been a leader in regards to sustainability. I mean, it, clearly it has the largest budget, but a lot of our great, great leaders, generals, admirals, and those guys in the military understand that if we want national security, then we need to be energy secure. And so they have invested large amounts of money in all different kinds of um, green building, renewables, and things like that. And so you do something to help them achieve their goals, which is um, eco-friendly structures. Tell us about those. Uh, well, you know, it, it, every every journey has a story, and the story for us began in in the uh, first responder and disaster relief world. And uh, originally, we were born to try to address what happens when refugees are are displaced by either natural or man-made disasters. And in the process of doing that, we developed a a very simple to build, insulated, rigid shelter system. And, and I'd like to say that, you know, you know, although I'd like to say that this was an immediate success and everything went very well, it didn't. We actually failed miserably in that arena. But unbeknownst to us, uh, we were discovered by and, and studied at first by some uh, folks within the 
Navy community, uh, also known as the Construction Battalion folks. And uh, most people I've heard of or are familiar with the Army Corps of Engineers, but the Navy also has a, an engineering contingent called the Construction Battalion, or their acronym are CBs. And folks in the CBs discovered us online, approached us, and said, hey, you guys kind of make those interesting little structures. Can you make similar things larger? Um, and uh, we engaged in conversation. One thing led to another, and we delivered, built and delivered a building to them that could actually be assembled and disassembled and rebuilt and would take about at that time, the first structure was uh, uh, six hours to build for a team of, of 10 folks for a 600-square-foot uh, structure. That led the conversation into what else can you do, how can you build, and us sitting down and listening to the challenges that the military has. And you're right. The military is extremely focused on solving specific problems. Sustainability is a way of solving a particular issue, which is, as you mentioned, the, the challenges when it comes to energy dependence. But if you think about this, in the old days, and I mean, you know, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, the, the saying was, an army marches on its stomach. Now, food is not as much of an issue, but fuel is, and water is as well. So how do you that's the challenge. That's always the problem that the military is now trying to solve is how do they address solving and reducing their reliance on fossil fuel and also being a lot more careful with their water resources. And that's where we were fortunate to be one of their solutions. Well, and water resources because, I mean, if you think about where um, the last conflicts have been, right, I mean, we're basically been, we've been running around the desert for the last 15 years. And water is the heaviest thing to move, so now you've got fuel just to move the heaviest thing available, right? I mean, people don't think about it that way, but that's what I'm always thinking is, is, is like the minute you have to move water, you were, you were talking about serious bucks. Absolutely. You're, you're talking about a lot of weight. You're talking about the ability for it to get spoiled. You're also talking about the challenge of the logistical chain. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's an interesting statistic that, that I discovered along, along my analysis of, of all these challenges, which is that in World War II, the U.S. Army used, on average, one gallon of gas per soldier. For the Iraq and Afghanistan war, it was over 20 gallons per soldier. So that, that amount of fuel was directly linked to the delivery of all the resources required for the soldier on the battlefield. One of them, by the way, was fuel. So you have to bring fuel to run all the air conditioning and all the other things, but also you have to keep them hydrated. And as you know, you've lived in a desert condition, and we discovered that when we chatted. The amount of water you need to, you need to drink when you are in a desert condition is tremendous. People don't realize that but you have to drink all day long. And that's part of the challenges on how do you deal with that supply chain. Well, and just for my audience who has, does not know, I served in the Peace Corps in Niger. And, I mean, water was always a critical, critical part of my work because I worked in nutrition and dealt with a lot of malnutrition. And, of course, malnutrition is 
normally not only a nutritional issue but also a hydration issue. So um, it, 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 yeah, if you, if you don't know, you don't know, right? So, so tell us how your structures helped reduce the fuel cost. And so perfect case in point. So, again, I think, I think for those that have not, uh, that don't have family to have served or haven't served themselves or, or are not intimately aware of what's going on, let me paint you a picture. Currently, when the U.S. military or almost any military goes uh, and sets up an FOB, a FOB, a forward operating base, those are made almost exclusively at the beginning of tents. But you need to erase from your mind the image of, you know, MASH and things of that nature because the, 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 the modern soldier lives in a tent that is air-conditioned. Yes, yes, I know. It sounds absurd, but there is a reason behind it. And the reason behind it is that a rested soldier, a comfortable soldier, is a better soldier. So if you think about this, we have to keep the forces comfortable and rested so that when they're needed, they're they're effective and efficient at what they do. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that sticking a five-ton air conditioner on a 600-square-foot tent is not the most efficient thing you can do. There was actually some analysis that was done by the, the uh, he's no longer in the Army, he's the retired chief logistician for the Iraq and Afghanistan War, um, General uh, Steve Anderson, and he wrote a, an op-ed in the New York Times about the cost of fuel, fully loaded cost of fuel in Iraq and Afghanistan. And his math triggered a close to $400 a gallon of fuel when everything was compounded and taken into consideration. So think about that for a moment. Every gallon of fuel that we used in the Iraq and Afghanistan war was the equivalent of $400 per gallon. So don't complain anymore when you go to the gas station. But the, be- the best thing is think about how you can solve that problem. And in his particular case, you know, uh, Steve Anderson started finding ways to increase the efficiency of tents, uh, um, you know, how do you insulate them? How do you protect them from the heat? How do you maximize their R values in order to be able to reduce their carbon footprint? This is where we excel. So our, our company, World Housing Solution, is, has developed a structure that encompasses an envelope that is so well with such an, a high R value, which is the, the insulation value that is utilized, that we use a lot less air conditioning than a traditional tent camp. And most recently, an, an independent party did an analysis between the World Housing Solution camp and a traditional tent camp, apples to apples, meaning the same square footage, et cetera, et cetera. And depending on where it was deployed, the savings to the U.S. military was upwards of $95 million over the lifespan of the camp. And depending on the cost of fuel and using a much conservative cost of fuel, the return on investment, meaning when the camp paid for itself, was between eight months and four years. The camp was free to the U.S. military. Wow. That's really amazing. Now, one of the things I love about sustainability is the unintended benefits. 
So, you know, you have this great housing, reduce your calls. But there's something else that happened with you all, and it increased base camp security. How did that happen? It, it, it's, you're exactly right, and, and you phrased it in, in a beautiful way. This is something that I did not realize at first, not having served. But a former Marine that I showed some of the work that we were doing, you know, that we were working on, some of the things we're working on, looked at the analysis and said, Ron, you're, you're missing a, port, a point here. I looked at him and I said, I, okay, educate me. He said, less we rely, we as the U.S. military, rely on transport, the higher our security goes. And he said, think about this, Ron. I said, if now I need to bring a convoy of supplies every day because I need fuel every day, and you now reduce it to every other day or, or every three days or once a week or once, whatever it is, he said, you are now allowing us to not only reduce the, 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 the challenges on, and the risks on that aspect, you're also allowing us to run the camps in a much quieter way because we can use a lot more efficient appliances, meaning air conditioners. Everything, that there's really a trickle-down effect. There is a really good impact and positive impact on many different aspects of, the, of our soldiers' lives, and that was really an interesting thing for us to discover. Well, and, and right, it takes someone who's been on the ground to understand that. But, and, and, you know, not only that, you're also saving that much more fuel, right? You know, so um, that is really cool. Now, I, I, you probably don't know this about me, but I am a solar geek. So are you, are you using solar deployed with these, um, uh, uh, I mean, they're not tents, but these structures or how, how are you all, are they generator operated? What's going on there? Um, so, interestingly enough, the U.S. military, as you said, is always looking for ways to reduce their, their carbon footprint. And, 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 and the gentleman said to me once, look, Ron, we're not, we're, we're not being green for the sake of being green. We are being green for the sake of improving our, our uh, you know, what we do and, and, and extending our reach and reducing our requirements from a logistical standpoint. And hybrid energy is very high on the U.S. military, as we all know. They've looked and have led analysis and research from a variety of different, different fronts. What we have been able to do is incorporate solar as part of our structures and provide the U.S. military with another option on looking at ways to provide energy. Now, it can never just be solar simply from a security standpoint. What if the sun doesn't shine? What if the batteries fail? What if, what if? So there's always a backup system. Interestingly enough, we just recently delivered to a U.S. Air Force Base in Florida one of our structures with batteries and solar running air conditioning, lights, monitors, radios, completely off the grid. And, and when I say completely off the grid with batteries, I'm not talking about a fancy, expensive system. We actually try to make it as rudimentary as possible. So we used simple lead-acid batteries. We went to a, to a boat store, bought marine-grade batteries, stuck two of those in, in, a, in, a, in a wheeled box, um, perforated holes in it, set it aside, and and off we went. So we can run this building about two, maybe three hours off the grid, but 
it runs, it does its job, and it showed to the U.S. military that you can be expeditionary. The building takes about an hour and a half to build and be also self-sufficient from a power standpoint, obviously with a generator backup as well in case you need to, but we've, de- we've demonstrated that, and that's a pretty, pretty cool achievement on our part. We're very thrilled about that. Now, do you have our... Do you have structures that are actually using solar at this point, or is it still sort of theory? No, it, that, that one is. So the theory, it's longer theory. It's now been proven that we can run our structures off the grid using solar and batteries. We have done high-end uh, deep modeling of our capabilities using hybrid technology, solar, batteries, and generator as a, as a backup. And in the end, it only becomes a function, so you know this, obviously, it, it only becomes a function of how much money is the customer willing to throw at this that defines how many hours the, the, the camp could run off the grid uh, and, and on batteries only, because that's obviously always the most expensive part of anything we do when it comes to hybrid technologies. Wow. That, that, is, that is really cool. And, you, and if you think about where we are deployed right now, right, where we're primarily deployed in the Middle East with lots of sun and not lots of rain, it m- makes sense um, to deploy something that's not going to be, once again, sort of fuel-based that has to be delivered on a regular basis. Because you and I both know there's plenty of sunshine in the desert. So, um, which is, sort of leads me to the next question is, is because, you know, when they're doing these four bases, it's not like they're building infrastructure in regards to electricity or water and sewage. So how do your structures help with the water and sewage issues? <laughs> the, the, the answer is, is always, you know, listen to the problems that your customer has and not to the solutions that you think they need. And, and in a conversation one time, we, uh, we discovered that uh, one of our customers indeed had a challenge. Uh, they had ordered from us a latrine. So for those that are not military-based, that's a fancy word for bathrooms. So we built an expeditionary bathroom system for, for men and women, including laundry. And in the conversation, we talked about uh, how is the water coming in, how it's being pumped, and then how it's being treated. And the traditional go-to solution on an expeditionary en- environment is to pump it. So you bring in fresh water on a truck, you put it in giant bladders, so think giant water beds that can hold you know, 5, 10,000, 20,000 gallons of water. And then when, when the water goes through, the sewer also goes into a bladder that also gets pumped by a truck in order to get hopefully treated correctly by, by the host country or folks in the host country. What we've developed is a holistic system that incorporates with our latrines. And so the water comes in, if it needs to be treated just to make sure that it's safe for, for, for American um, you know, constitutions, meaning systems, so that they can digest the water properly, we filter the water. And then the latrines themselves are designed to split the gray water and the black water so the sinks, the showers, and the laundry go into one direction and get treated twice, so they become potable again can be reused. And then the black water also gets treated, so that's, a sh- that's the, the, the toilets and the, um, and the urinals, and that gets treated as black water. 
and that becomes gray water and could actually be used on location for irrigation if needed. So now we're, we're not just reducing the, uh, the, the way they, they use water, but we're also reducing the reliance on, on foreign nationals coming on an American base to help with the treatment. So we're reducing potential risks in that manner. So it, it, there are a couple of different points that are being hit. We do that, and, and that's part of the, the exciting thing that we do in trying to provide a sustainable solution that reduces the reliance on logistics for the U.S. military. That is brilliant. I mean, in some ways, the infrastructure here in the States is too late, right? Um, they can do it with new construction, but going back and retrofitting uh, gray and black water is really just more money than people are willing to even start to wrap their heads around. But this is so exciting because now not only have you made the bases safer and have figured out how to reuse water to the, the infinite degree almost, um, but you're now also providing a conversation for those those countries too so that they can use your technology in systems that they start to build. So thank you for doing that. That's really cool. You're, you know, it, from a, you're right. From a political standpoint, it really buys those brownie points as, as not only Americans but citizens of the earth that says, look, we care about your community as well. We care about your ecosystem as well, and we're trying to do the right thing all the way around. Right. Well, and and you know, and once again, these are all the things that we, you know people don't really think about when we're deploying into an area. And 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 right, ideally, we 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 don't have a really long track record of this, but ideally, we go in and we actually leave at some point. So um, to have this kind of technology available to host countries after we deploy is really great. Now, I have actually we have a um, a good friend at Southeast Green. Um, called Rainwater Pillow, and they um, are basically using the military-grade stuff to make those bladders, and um, it's really cool technology. So this is actually something that you guys have proven that works in this environment, but even homeowners here who are interested in, in collecting rainwater can deploy right here in their own houses. So, um, you you know, you're offer, you've, you've proven it. People don't have to be worried about it. This isn't some, you know, freaky technology that only the military can use. That's correct. So let's talk about your um, insulated composite system. Um, many people have heard of the terminology structural insulated panels, and, and that terminology has existed for decades. It actually goes back to, to the late 40s, which is the, the premise of, of sandwiching an insulating material between two boards. And traditionally, it's been OSB, which is wood. So you take wood on two sides, you put something insulating on the inside, and you build a building out of it. That's, that's one of the best ways in traditional construction to achieve a very high efficiency. And then a lot of things occurred in the middle of all that or in between as, as being developed, and people have used you know, cement board and, and other kind of material, stainless steel, steel, aluminum, and so on and so forth. What we are doing is basically the same general concept, but instead of using a heavy material, we use a very light material, which is a composite skin that sandwiches a foam core. And depending on the application, the foam can change, but that's basically what it is. 
And, and to, to give you an idea, for instance, um, nothing that we build, nothing that gets delivered to the U.S. military requires more than four soldiers to pick up. And when I say four soldiers, I don't mean four men. It could be four women to pick up. So everything is light enough to be handled by, by folks without heavy equipment, without special tools, and, and, and just to, to drive it down to, to the next you know, logical thought, as an example, when a tent arrives on location, it typically needs a forklift to be moved around because it, it's a very heavy gauge material for in 600 or so square feet that can't really be manhandled. It has to be picked up. Nothing that we make requires heavy equipment or special tools. Everything assembles quickly and disassembles quickly and can be moved again. Well, that's really cool. Now, I'm going to tell you, we're out of time, but I really did schedule a little extra time in case you ran over. Can we get squeeze one more question out of you? Absolutely. Please. I'm honored. Sure. So we, you know, there's been this huge influx about tiny houses and all this kind of stuff, and um, I just listened to a podcast about tiny houses. Can this structure that you're doing, can you turn this into at least the base of a tiny house? Absolutely. We've actually designed a couple. We played around. We haven't built one yet, but it can absolutely be turned into a very well-insulated, very um, well-sealed system uh, and very light, obviously. So now you can spend more money on other finishes instead of, of using all the weight on the trailer to be taken up by, uh, by, by you know, wood and other materials. That's, that's awesome. So I, I love it that you've created this system and that, that this, this will grow into something else, too. Well, Ron, I have really enjoyed our conversation. It has been a complete pleasure, and I am so grateful that you're doing this kind of work to make our military better. I mean, it really just makes it better all the way around. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to share the story and, uh, and, and hopefully uh, get some people interested in learning more. Super. All right, if people want to learn more, that was a perfect segue. Thank you. Um, what, how can they get in contact with you all and get more information? Uh, well, one way would be to, uh, to go to the website, take a look, and there's a link there on, on how to send us an email. The website is World Housing Solution, singular, no S, at the end of solution, so worldhousingsolution.com, or send an email to info at worldhousingsolution.com. But we're also on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, Go ahead, like our page, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Great. Ron, thank you so much, and I I hope we get to meet someday because this has been a really great conversation. I look forward to it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. I'm thinking tiny house already, I know. And and I'm not tiny house person, you know. Um, but I just love, 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 this right, I love telling the story of sustainability. And we're going to be telling this sustain, the story of sustainability in many different flavors this week frequently. So we've got uh, several episodes scheduled for Speaking of Green. We want to thank all our listeners We really, really appreciate you, whether you listen to it on Blog Talk Radio or on southeastgreen.com, or if you're listening through podcasts, we want to really thank all our listeners. 
Um, also, just so you know, we do have a business directory listing. If you have a sustainable business, you can get on our business directory listing, and we um, would welcome you to be there. It's very low entry cost, and um, you know you get sent out to all our followers as being as part of the the, the business directory listing. And it's a great way to get in front of like like minded people and to get you some good exposure on the on the web. So anyway, and I should share this because this is really exciting. We've just come off our highest month of visitor visitorship on Southeast Green. We're really excited. We have over 1.3 million visitors in April alone. So if you do put your business on the business directory, you're going to get a lot of great exposure. We are signing out with Jeff Hicks and the Heretics, Life's a Peach. Y'all have a great green groovy week.